Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you all today. I tell you what, I am so grateful for our worship team. Uh, I, I'm going to, yeah, I'm, I'm going to vouch for them. Um, they love God. They really do. And we, we were starting off the service t- uh, this week, and we were standing around, and, and I brought up one of the songs. The second song is a new song for us as a congregation. And we noticed that there was something that wasn't theologically correct. It's hard to get a song that's even the old hymns that are theologically correct all the way through. But we noticed something in there that wasn't just right. And it said something that just didn't settle. So uh, talking to Ricky and the team, we just kind of like, let's look at this. And so then Ricky came back to my office and said, okay, we can make some changes here to this song. And he said, I'm going to replace it. And you probably didn't even notice, but we replaced some of the lyrics of the song and kind of put our own lyrics in there to make it correct. Ricky said, okay, I just want to let you know that we can get sued for this. And uh, like somebody's actually listening out there, but but we get sued for this. And uh, I'm like, so what do you want to do? He said, well, let's get God right and then see what happens afterwards. So my point is this. If you're new here to Crosstown, you came in and you're like, what the heck's wrong with this building? They got stuff hanging down from the roof. They got, you came through the parking lot, and there was grass growing up in between, and, and there was too much mold growing on the outside of a metal building. And what about flooding? And what's that other church in the back doing? And you came up here, and, and our children's church isn't the most robust. We don't have the coolest stuff in there. And, and you know, I'm, you're going to find out that I'm all screwed up in about 35 minutes. <laughs> but I will tell you this. We want to get God right. And that's important to us. We also want to get you right, because that's important to him. So no matter what you're going through, your checklist of what a good church is, let me just get you to get God today in the middle of all of it. Um, And don't look for us to be perfect, but look to encounter a perfect God in the midst of imperfection. And you will be surprised how much God will do in your life. So we're so glad that you're here and we're glad you're, you're going to have this moment with us. And I'm also glad that summer finally arrived in Charleston, South Carolina. Today will be like the first full day. Don't be shaking your head, Katie. I mean, I, 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 this is the first day that it will be, be over 91 degrees for the whole day. I'm actually excited. I've been here for 40 years now, and I have never encountered a summer where it took so long to get hot. So uh, welcome to summer. We're glad you're here. We're, we're starting a series called The Chosen Summer, and we're going to be using the artistic license of the series called The Chosen that you can find on TV, on the internet, um, and we're using it because it will provide an artistic visualization for you. Uh, now, in the middle of that, whenever we do something like this, some of you may say, well, I don't like their visualization of Jesus in this. Because maybe you have some biases about how Jesus walked and how long his hair was and what color his eyes were. Matt, it's funny, Stacy's not here, so I can talk about her. Stacy believes that the Apostle Paul had giant calves and long hair. I mean, she basically got her definition of what the Apostle Paul looks like from Fabio on romance novels in the 1980s. She believes that all men of God have giant calves and incredible hair and stuff like that. So you may have some sort of bias on how Jesus looked. Uh, like, for instance, 
if you uh, were raised Catholic, and I was raised Catholic, Jesus saved the world. Jesus did some amazing things. Jesus is God, but Jesus don't smile, okay? If you were raised Catholic, that, those nuns that, that trained me and those priests, it was like, Jesus is your Savior, he's your Lord, but he don't smile. Well, you're going to see a smile in Jesus in this series because there's a really good chance that the Son of God actually smiled at people. So please give me a little bit of latitude here as far as this. We all have artistic expectations. I'm what's called an abstract expressionist. I love Jackson Pollock's. I love lines, paint splattered, and then I get to interpret it with my mind. Some of you are more like, you know, uh, you like Renaissance type stuff. You like perspective, lines, all the shadows lining up and all the buildings being the right size and diminishing and all that. And for you, that's art. Well, today in the middle of all this, in this series, there may be things that you don't necessarily agree with as far as the artistic representation, but let me just encourage you to grab a hold of the visualization of, of the biblical truths that are going to be presented in this series. So we're going to kick it off today, and we're going to be looking at the encounter of truth as it emerges from Jesus's interaction with this woman, uh, Mary of Magdala. And she's a really special person to me because I really track well with her life experiences and I track well with her, maybe her own self-perception. And so we're going to learn something about her, but it's going to speak to us about who we are, who we think we are inside, and, and also some of the things that we know about ourselves that maybe we're terrified that somebody else would find out. So let's start and let's watch together. the words. Adonai's words. From the prophet. Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah write. Thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, fear not. Come now. I want to hear you sing. I want to hear your pretty voice. Come. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. You are mine. That's right.
I think all of us were born and grew up with dreams and hopes, ideas about life. Um, I, it was funny, when I was working in VBS, I was in the three and four-year-olds. I don't know who made that choice, but I was there. And three and four-year-olds are really unique little species. You know, they are, I mean, they are human, but they're, they're a whole different kind of human. And so, like, if you sit on the ground with them, and all of a sudden they come to you, and, and one of them will come to you and uh, they'll sit close to you, and then another one will come and, like, try to sit over that one to get closer to you, and then all of a sudden you have, like, three or four of them that are sitting on. But when I started interacting with them, it was interesting. They all want to be loved. I mean, they just, they don't know even to hide that. You know, they, they're too young to, to know. And so they come up with, to you with the one thing they own. They don't own a job. They don't own a car. They don't own a, own a house. They don't own a reputation. They don't own any of that. They come up with the one thing that they own, and that's their name. And so I'll, I'll say, it's like, uh, hi, what's your name? And, you know, and he'll say, my name is Victor. And I'm like, oh, Victor, how are you? It's good to see you, Victor. That's a nice name. That's a strong name. You're going to grow up to be a strong young man, you know. And, and then next one, you know, another girl, I mean, a girl will come up and then go in front of him and say, my name is Emily. Emily, do you like my name? And then I'll be like, oh, yes, Emily, that is such a, a beautiful name. It sounds so wise. You're going to be so smart when you grow up. And, and, so I, and, and then every child would come up and say, my name, you know, my granddaughter came up and said, my name is Ireland Winter Brigman. And it's like, do you like my name? And so every one of them were like giving me the one thing that they have. It's the one thing that we all start off with. We start off with a name. And they, they would give you your name and they would, they would almost compete like, do you like my name? And so I, it brought to mind the Proverbs that said, a good name is to be desired more than great wealth. Um, a good name is better than a good ointment or smelling good or looking good. That there's something about the name of who we are, the, that one thing that we have that is so special to us and so important to us. And just like we saw, we all are born into this life with a name, but we soon discover that our lives are transformed, are affected, our hopes and dreams begin to fade a little bit. Um, and not just our, our dreams and our hopes, but also we're challenged about our name. Who am I? What is called, what am I called? And, and the failures and the disappointments of life seem to um, affect our name, seems like how it's said. It's like our names or our souls or identity are these porous jar clays. And, and, and as we take experiences into us and we think we dump them out, that some of the clay absorbs the experience, the rejection, the hurt, the failure, the disappointment. And this name that we were given, which was kind of, we were excited about as a young child, all of a sudden, there seems to be this absorbing of other things with it. Our souls and our names become embedded with actions, with failed outcomes, and, and things that we've brought on ourselves. Our, our divorces seem to, like, get into us. Our addictions seem to get into our identity, our, our struggles, the abuses that other people have performed on us and have committed against us 
seems to be absorbed by our name and our identity. And it seems to be kind of... And, and so Mary is an example of somebody in the scriptures that seems to have gone through this type of diminishing. When we look at the story of Mary and we look into the scriptures, we tend to think, well, you know, there's the cavemen here and then there's first century Palestine and they, they really weren't as smart as we are. There's a really good chance they were smarter than we are. Um, and so sometimes when we look at a Bible story, we think, well, there's primitive people. But, but let me just tell you, they had disappointments. They had psychology. They had spirituality. Though they didn't have technology, they knew what disappointment was. They knew what it was to grow weary. And I think everybody here knows what it's like to grow weary. You get tired of going to school. You get tired of going to work. You get tired of your body hurting. You get tired of maybe a, a relationship that you have with somebody. But here's really where it gets tough, is when you get weary of being you. I mean, just being you is something that just wears you out. And Mary of Magdala was, was like us. She was like, like you and me. She was probably born with some hopes and dreams. And maybe there was a time in her life where there was clarity about her name. Maybe it was like the artistic representation. Maybe she did have a daddy who spoke a name, spoke her name, and it was like incredible. If you had to ever had somebody that just unconditionally loved you and spoke your name, and it, the way they said it was different the way than everybody else said it. I, I, in my life, my mom was that way. My mom was from Brooklyn, and she, uh, she said, how did she say? She would say, Paul. She'd say, Paul. Now, I know I shouldn't make fun of anybody's accent because I'm from Boston, but my mom would say, Paul. And she would say it just like that. I mean, she, she had nine children, and, and I was Paul. And I remember one day coming in, I was about 18 years old. I was stoned out of my mind, and I was uh, coming into the house late. And uh, it was so funny. We used to sneak out of the house by a rope. And, and I mean, we had an incredible upbringing. And so when I was coming home, my room was the attic. It was an old New England-styled house, three-story house. You know, it was 150 years old when, when we lived in it, and that feels like 150 years ago. So, it, so every board had a noise to it, and you could identify where the board... Well, I slept in the attic, and so um, it meant I had to go past my mom and dad's room. So I remember just stoned out of my mind, just going, and then I just opening the door, and there's, there's that step there, and you would, like, take three steps because you knew this one in the middle would, would get you. But I don't know what happened, but that top step got me. And all of a sudden, in the middle of the dark, in the middle of all my, I mean, stoned, uh, if you've never been there, take my word for it. So I was in the middle of it, and all of a sudden I hear, Paul? And I was like, yeah. She said, are you drunk? And I was like, yes. Because I said, no, mom. Because I was a, a real technicality here. I was like, I'm stoned out of my mind, but I wasn't drunk. But I was afraid what I was going to hear, because I felt like she said, well, we'll talk in the morning. And I know what that meant. We would just sit and we'd have this conversation. What I was afraid that I would hear was my father's voice. He was from Bayside. And Bayside had a different, he had that cabbie accent type of thing. Paul? 
And whenever he said my name, that meant I was in trouble. So when I heard my mother say my name, it invoked mercy inside of me. There was a kind of a different response. And so maybe Mary grew up hearing that voice that spoke belovedness to her. But maybe she didn't. Maybe she was just like a lot of you. Maybe the value of her name was robbed because somebody abandoned her. Or maybe the person who used to speak her name or abused her and misused her. And so therefore, just even to hear her name was a source of pain. But this seems to happen that we, we, we were born with this, this ideal, this, this name, and we begin to soak in our mistakes and our failures into our lives. And it happened to Mary. And regardless of how she arrived, we're not really exactly told. We are told this, that she arrives in the story described this way. A woman from whom seven demons had come out. Can you imagine that that's your description of your life? Your name's gone. You are just described as the woman from whom seven demons have come out. And I was thinking about this with Deanna, and we were talking about why seven demons, and why would the Bible record seven demons? Why not just say demons? And, um, and I, we began to look at it and to think about it. It's like, where does seven come up? Seven comes up in the creation story. And then what we know about the seven days of creation is that there's this incredible chaos on the world. And then God begins to speak, and he speaks light, and light happens. He begins to speak land, land happens. We begin to see, he speaks flourishing, and flourishing happens. And then on the seventh day, I mean, he creates on the sixth day mankind, and then on the seventh day, he rests. God rests in creation, with creation, and he says it is good. But we are told that this person's life has diminished so far that every day is darkness. And particularly the seventh day, there is no rest with God. It's almost like seven, which is representative in the Bible of completion. It's like this woman was completely, her life was in utter darkness. Her career was in darkness. Her sexuality was in darkness. Her thoughts of the past were in darkness. Her life was in darkness. And that's what we're given. We're given this story of this woman's life where there was no rest with God. There was no longer the voice of, it is good, it is good, it is good. That it's all gone. There's no confirmation of this, that Mary was this woman in this story, but a lot of historians believe it. But in this story that when Jesus is getting his feet perfumed by a woman who's weeping, she's on all fours behind him, and she's crying, and she's wiping his feet with her tears and with her hair, and she's pouring this oil on. We don't know that it's Mary. A lot of theologians and historians believe it is Mary. Um, and the reason why we don't know is because she was not dignified with the name, because that's what happens with our lives. That's what happens when we, we, we go like sheep, we turn astray. It, it's, it's, we all of a sudden begin to forfeit our name. We begin to forfeit our identity. We forfeit to give it away. And we end up to a place where we are no longer Paul. We're no longer Mary. We are a kind of a, 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 
a porous vessel of our mistakes and our compromises and our, the abuses that have been committed against us. The text says this, and there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. Isn't this crazy? No name. No name. You know, it's just like, oh yeah, he's gay. Oh yeah, he's, he cheated on his wife. Oh yeah, 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 she left her children. Oh, she had an abortion. You know, um, and it's like the community begins to forget our names and they just remember our mistakes, our challenges, our difficulties that we have. And Mary was a part of a community where nobody was bothering to know her name. They just knew that she was a sinner. And when she learned that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume and standing behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and kept wiping them with her hair of her head and kissing his feet and anointing them with the perfume. And when the Pharisee saw, the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him. And here's the ultimate reductionism. For she is a sinner. She's not Mary anymore. She's just a sinner. Have you ever been in that place in your life? You know, where the hopes and dreams of all the potential of your life and, and you know, that... I remember when I was a young man, I was born into a family. My mom had nine children. I was one of uh, uh, seven boys. Uh, one of the boys died when he was a baby, um, but I was kind of in the middle. And I remember I, I'm the tallest by a few inches. I mean, like, a, it's, it's amazing. Everybody else has got, they look more manly than I am. They are more robust men. They're kind of bigger, stronger kind of guys they are. They're like, you know, something you may see out of The Godfather. They are Italian men, you know, and work on cars, work hard, beat the crap out of people if they mess with them kind of guy. And then I was born. And in the middle of it, I'm, I'm taller by like almost six inches. I'm the only one with hazel blue eyes. I'm the only one with freckles. I'm the only one that looks like my mother. And I know you're like, dang, that's one ugly woman. And it's like, I, no, no, it's like I'm the only one that looks like my mother and uh, my mother. Uh, and so, um, I, and the, the thing was is that I did drama, I danced, I sang, I did all the other stuff. And so I remember being a young man and the whole family would come in and then I was there and everybody was like, oh, Paul, Paul, he's, he's so handsome, he's so tall. He's like, Paul, you're different. And I remember every room that I would walk into, every place as I grew and in my 20s, it's like, oh, Paul, you, you know, it's like, and, it, and it's like, yes, I'm taller and this and it's like, and I remember all that, but I remember then, you, then my addiction with drugs and then my divorce and then my struggle with pornography and my, all these other stuff. And, and all of a sudden you go into your 30s and, and you're not so cute anymore, you know? And, and then when you're in your 40s, you know, uh, or then your 50s. And then if you, you're struggling with porn in your 50s, you know, it's, it's expected when you're 20, but when you're 50, you're just a creeper, you know? And, and then it's, and it's funny, and now as I get older, it's like, you know, everybody's taller these days, and all, you know, you try to rely on a good haircut to distinguish you, as, you know, when you have a good week, I got a good haircut, 
And all of a sudden you get older, and that's like the, you know, people you're in my age or older, you know what that's like. All of a sudden you walk in a room and people are like, oh, that's Paul. There's no Paul. There's no, there's no sense of it's like, yeah, that's Paul. And all of a sudden I remember it was like, wow, how easy it is that your height ain't going to do it. Your hair ain't going to do it. You know, your degree is not going to do it. We think all these things are going to distinguish us and set us apart. And then you get older. And like Mary, you realize all of a sudden you're gathering. Your, your, your vessel is pulled in all these mistakes and all that stuff. And you feel like when you look in the mirror and you say, mirror, mirror, who's on the wall? I mean, mirror, mirror on the wall. Who's the fairest of them all? And the mirror looks back and says, it ain't you. And you're like, oh my gosh. This didn't work out the way that I thought it was going to work out. And Mary was in that place. We know that she had a deep emotional, troubled psychology and spirituality. She was tormented whether by choices or abuse. A combination of both possibly, but she was known for many things. She was called by many names. Maybe she called herself some names. Maybe she bought in to it, the idea that she was just a woman who was a sinner in the town. But she was seen by Jesus. She was known by Jesus. And she was called by Jesus. So, did it work? I'm sorry, Lilith. Elias? What? We should talk, huh? Leave me alone. Oh, what, huh? It's going to scratch me too. Come on, not now. So, see. Not now. Fine. She smells anyway. I don't know what else I can do to help you. Give me that. Lots of it. That's not going to solve your problems. It's meant to distract from No them. more preaching. Just give it to me. Lilith, please listen to what I'm Leave me alone. 
Mary of Magdala. Says the Lord who created you, and he who formed you. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You. I don't know exactly how this moment happened for Mary, but I do know this. It was not any less than what was just de depicted. And it was not any less than what the scriptures say to us when we turn to hear the call of our Heavenly Father to bring us back home. Thus says the Lord, your creator, O Jacob. And he who formed you, O Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. The God of heaven sees you. The God of heaven knows you. And the God of heaven, and even though you may have forgotten, he knows your name. I love it that it says that he calls you by name. Because for me, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. I can buy into that, and that is true. But to call you by name, it's kind of a, kind of getting down, it's getting real personal. And I have no problems that he calls you because you look like a nice man and you because you're a wonderful woman. But to call me by name, that he knows me individually and personally, that is so powerful. But he calls me by name, meaning he knows about your seven demons. He knows about your sin. He knows about your failures and he knows about your broken dreams. But he still calls. He still redeems. He still calls so that you would know that you are his. That is powerful. That is transformative. And many of us have gone so far in our lives, we don't know, does anybody really know me? And if anybody really knew me, they wouldn't let me be the pastor of this church or they wouldn't be my friend, or they wouldn't this or whatever, if they really knew. And God steps into the middle and says, oh, I know your name, and I know your seven demons, and I know your mistakes, and I know your disappointments, and I know the abuses that have been committed against you. 
I know you and you're mine. I love this passage even more because Hebrew writers wrote in parallel. Sometimes they would repeat an idea, not only for emphasis, but for artistic presentation, maybe for memory, but there was an idea would be presented twice. And, for, and in this particular one, he does that. The writer says, or God speaking through the writer says, thus says the Lord, your creator, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel. O Jacob, O Israel. Well, if you're a student of scripture, you kind of know that this is kind of like the same thing. I mean, if you, if you have read the book of Genesis, you know that Jacob is the person whose name is changed to Israel. And the reason why I love this so much is because God says, hey, the one who formed you, O Jacob, the one who created you, O Israel. Jacob in Hebrew means schemer. He's like, I know you. Yeah, you, you're a schemer, aren't you? You're working it. You're a player. I know what you do. You know, thus says the Lord that I know you on your worst days. I know you on your scheming days. Thus says the Lord who created you, O Israel. Royalty with God is what it means. A prince with God, princesses with God, the royal people of God. Because God knows about us. He knows that we're one part schemer and one part children of the living God. But I love it is that God wants both. He wants us. It's like, well, you know, I, you know God's so disappointed with me. I got to perform better. You know, I, I'm, I'm so many different things. God's like, listen, I know about your seven demons. I know you struggle with your sexual identity. I know that you cheated on your wife. I know that you, you've tried to kill yourself and you've cut yourself. I know that you have this incredible addiction. I know you struggle. I know that you have failed so many times. I know that you are abused. But, but know this, I want you Jacob. I want you Israel. I want you schemer. I want you royalty with God. You are mine. There is no greater message in all the earth than God calling us by name, and calling us his through Jesus. This is what Mary encounters. David knew it also. He didn't hide from God. David, some of you are like, well, David, that's the king of Israel. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's also the guy that cheated on his wife. It's also the guy that had five wives. He's also the guy that took another man's wife, had the man killed, and then had a baby with her. You know, um, He's also the guy that killed Goliath. Yeah, that's right, too. But he's also the guy that uh, lost his son Absalom because he wouldn't forgive him, and he was a lousy father. Oh, yeah, he's that guy, too. He's a lot of things. And David was like, you know, he had this intimacy with God, and he wrote this. He said, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. It's like, wait a minute. You knew I would cheat? You knew I'd steal? You knew I'd scheme? You knew I'd betray? You knew I'd like, and God's like, yeah. And you still want me. Yeah. I've redeemed you. You are mine, says the Lord. 
I don't know where you are in your life, but I know what it's like to look in the mirror and ask the question, who's the fairest? And then to get the answer, it ain't you. What do you do then? Do you gotta be thinner? Do you gotta be prettier? Do you gotta have augmentations? Do you gotta get a better job? Bigger boat? Bigger house? I'm telling you, you're just gonna end up at 60 years of age and find out nobody cares you walked in the room. You're old. You're just a black guy. You're just a woman. You're just an old boomer. I mean, we, we will call people all kinds of things. And in the middle of all of it, it's easy to just soak in all, all the negativity and all the mistakes and just reduce yourself to is like, well, today I laid in bed, before church, laid in bed, and was calculating how many days I have left on the earth. You're going to be dead in 15 years. 15 years, Paul. 15 years, you're going to be dead. And I was like, boy, I hate this. It's like, it's like there's got to be more. There is. There is more. And it's not sexy. It's not a good haircut. I'm not even sure this is a good haircut. But I'm just going to go with it. Mirror, mirror. Okay? We work so hard to try to make a name for ourselves when all along Jesus says to us, come unto me, all you who are heavy laden, all you who are broken, all you who have just sucked in all, like the sheep who have gone astray, you've sucked in all the negative, all the wrong about you, all that they've said about you, and it's, and it's entered into the jar, the clay of who you are. And he says, and I will give you rest. Learn of me. And what you'll learn first from Jesus is this. You are mine. I have redeemed you. You have been called. You have been chosen by me. Peter said in 1 Peter, throw all your anxieties upon him because he cares about you. And that verse always is kind of interpreted as, you know, anxieties about paying your electric bill and feeding the kids and your job. You know, there's a greater anxiety in the human soul than whether or not you make your car payment. It just seems like it's super important. It's the anxiety about your past. It's the anxiety about who you are, about who you will become. I mean, why would we cut ourselves if we weren't anxious about our identity? Why would we purge ourselves to, be, to lose our weight unless we were, we were struggling over our identity. Why would we mutilate our bodies through gender altercation and alteration? Why would we do that? Because the human soul is crying out for somebody who really knows who I am because I don't know anymore. We don't know anymore. You may be sitting here and you're like, dude, I don't know what you're talking about. I drove in here with a Lexus. I'm I'm making 600 grand a year. I know who I am. You, sir, are the most duped person in the room. Jesus doesn't call many people a fool in the Bible. He calls this one guy a fool. And he's the wealthiest man ever presented who builds barns for himself. 
And he says, and I'll build barns, and then tomorrow I'll build other barns. It's like Jesus tells everybody, don't call anybody a fool. And then Jesus kind of like, whoop. <laughs> but I guess he can do it. Um, and it's the one guy, is the guy who is the most successful in the room, who's made a name for himself. So I don't know where you are. You might be the victim of an abuse of a father upon you. And that's soaked into you. And that's what you are. And that's why you don't know who you are sexually. Or you don't, you hate men. I get it. I get it. We're all acting out of this stuff that we absorbed. And Jesus wants us to drop it. And to hear him calling our name, I have redeemed you. I know you, O schemer. I know you, you are now a prince and royalty with God. I know about your seven demons. I know that you are a sinner, but you're mine, and I love you. Though Mary was filled with darkness, so too was everything about her liberated. Seven demons, seven days, all of it removed. Like all the days of creation in her, God all of a sudden began to speak into her life through Jesus. And then each day was restored. Light was restored. Land was restored. Uh, water was re restored. Life, things flourishing began to happen again to the point when in Mary's life, she heard all of a sudden through Jesus, she heard the phrase that she had not heard in decades. It is good. You are good. You are good. You are good. And that led her to the last of days to rest in God. This is what Paul means in Ephesians when he says, we are seated with Christ in the heavenlies. We are at rest with God. Our identity is in him. And God is offering that to every one of us today. So as we present to you communion, what Jesus is offering you is, is telling you, I know your name. You maybe have forgotten it. And maybe you walk in a room and nobody notices. Maybe you've discovered you're not the tallest any longer. You're not the smartest any longer. You're not the youngest any longer. You're not the biggest producer in the room any longer. Maybe you're like me in your decades struggle with porn or addiction with substances or whatever has just gotten, it's like tattooed on your soul. And you've said to yourself, like I have said to myself, will I ever friggin' get it right? And Jesus says, oh, well, you're probably not going to. Oh, Jacob. Oh, Israel, you are mine. I have redeemed you. There is no greater message preached under heaven than this message, that God knows you and he loves you. Father, we thank you so much for the example of Mary. And God, may we be willing today to allow you to cast out the darkness of our lives. God, for some of us, we shout from our soul 
and it's as if there's no air to reverberate the cry so that somebody can hear it. It's like we're stuck in the vacuum of our own deplorable nature. And there's no air. And then David reminds us, if I make my bed in hell, you are there. If I ascend to the heavens, you are there. The words of Paul encourage us and say, who can separate us from the love of God? The voice of Jesus is here today. Come unto me, all you are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I know your name. I have redeemed you. Let me bring life to your seven days. Let me bring hope for your future and resolve for your past. Because I, more than your mom and more than your dad and more than your mistakes, I know you, O Israel.